0: be louder and eat the mic, something like that. So it's nothing as irritating as if you cannot hear me. I, I was a student myself, drove me crazy. So when you cannot hear me, please let me know. All right, today we talk about enzymes. And actually you have dealt with enzymes already through the semesters, DNA replication, transcription, translation. This was all done by enzymes, but now we find the time to look a little bit closer to them and see how the knowledge about enzymes can help us in medicine. So what are enzymes and what are their functions? First of all, enzymes soluble proteins and act as catalysts and increase the rate of a chemical reaction. Uh, In most cases, they are proteins. Now what the enzymes do, they accelerate reaction in the human body at human body temperatures. When we normally want to have a a reaction in the laboratory, we have to heat it very high, or we have to make very strange and, and strong acidic or basic conditions to push the reaction. Here it's amazing that we can accelerate reactions at human body temperature and at the PA conditions found in the cell. Now the enzymes, they bind the substrates and form and release the products. And enzymes allow our life practically. They are a means to regulate the rate of metabolic pathways in the body. Now you know, under hormonal control, if blood glucose level is low, then the pathways will be activated like gluconeogenesis in the liver that will increase the blood glucose at the same time in the fat cells we will degrade triacylglycerols that were stored there and provide fatty acid for energy metabolism so enzymes uh, start and, and regulate whole pathways So. Enzyme, each enzyme has for sure two names, a short recommended name, and it has the uh, suffix "-ase at the end." That helps you. Sometimes when you see in pathways all these molecules, if it's an "-ase at the end, it's the enzyme, it's not the molecule. And then some enzymes don't follow that, like pepsin or trypsin, they don't have "-ase there." But that is very helpful in pathways and it is named after the reaction that it describes. Now when you come later to heme synthesis or so, there are some enzymes that are key target for USMLE question and they can be named in two different ways. I can name the enzyme after the substrate and what it does or I can the name after the product that it forms. So there, just looking ahead, um, I will give you both names so that you are not falling uh, wondering what, what enzyme is that. I haven't heard about it. So these are the recommended names, but they are very valuable in comparison to the systemic, a systematic name which we use in uh, chemistry. It's a whole big book out of it, and it has classification with name, enzyme, commission number, and so forth. We wouldn't make it through a pathway if we would say those names all the time. So we use the short recommended name. Now enzymes, we have some enzymes. They need coenzymes or cofactors from vitamins and minerals. Coenzyme and cofactor... That was all mixed up in the past. Nowadays, when we talk about cofactor, we mostly mean minerals. And a holoenzyme has it all and contains coenzymes. And sometimes it is still mentioned an enzyme without a coenzyme is named an apoenzyme. So what do enzymes do? They are needed for the breakdown of nutrients in order to generate energy, And we call that catabolism. Enzymes allow the synthesis and assembly of cellular building blocks. We call that anabolism. Both fall under the big name metabolism. So if I talk just about metabolism, I have not locked myself into either anabolism or catabolism. So that is important for you when you read exam questions. Metabolism is a general word. But if I talk about catabolism, I better talk about it, about the degradation. Properties of enzymes, it's a huge protein, and actually the active site where it all happens is very small. It can be, you see here this little red dot, this could be an active site. It's a three-dimensional pocket, and from amino acid it is formed that are away in the primary structure from each other, so it's kind of a folding. Catalytic efficiency, amazing, up to 10, 10 to 8 times faster. Why is that so important? Which enzymes would you think should do the uh, fastest reaction, an enzyme that protects against radical damage or an enzyme that does something? <laughs> the answer is in that, right? So. The enzymes that protect against radical uh, damage, they are the fastest that we know, as we don't want a radical hang around. And specificity of enzymes is very high. And we don't know really why, but you have seen amino acids. They are in the L configuration in humans. And the enzyme that attach those, most of those, look for the L-configuration, and they don't touch an amino acid in the D-configuration. And then on the other hand, enzymes that deal with sugars, I go a little bit ahead, they only touch the one in the D-configuration. Now, we really don't know what was the first, the egg or the hen. Did we have first the amino acids and then the enzymes? adjusted or do we have these enzymes that preferred a configuration and the other molecules were not touched? So highly specific, I I want to build up that that you realize enzymes are marvelous. They are different locations in the cell where they are grouped and you see here in this picture uh, The the cell, you have talked already about nucleus, you have here this little elephant, here is a mitochondria. You have lysosomes, and here's a mitochondria uh, enlarger. And you see that we put some pathways into these uh, cells. And I just want to shortly describe it, and you have to know that as a big, very big picture. Cytosolic pathways are glycolysis. Glycolysis is a pathway that starts with glucose and ends with pyruvate. Anaerobic glycolysis ends with lactate. Then we have gluconeogenesis. Glucose, neogenesis, synthesized from scratch, from other molecules than sugars. And these two pathways are found in the liver and in the kidney where else glycolysis is found all over the place. Then we have the pentose phosphate pathway, uh, which is also called hexose monophosphate pathway. That pathway generates uh, ribose 5-phosphate eventually and NADPH. so it's also in the cytosol. Fatty acid de novo synthesis. De novo also means from scratch. As I can synthesize a longer fatty acid from a shorter. Now, here we start really out from scratch, and we will use eventually at high blood glucose levels in the liver, uh, we'll use those for fatty acid de novo synthesis, cholesterol synthesis, that happens all in the cytosol, and triacylglycerol synthesis. And now you have the mitochondrial pathways. That can sometimes be a problem as the outer mitochondrial membrane is easily permeable for most molecules, but the inner mitochondrial membrane is a problem. Uh, we have talked or worked together on the membranes. Do you remember that phospholipid that is found in the inner mitochondrial membrane? Cardiolipin, yes, and that allows the separation, the cardiolipin in the inner mitochondrial membrane. Now, in the mitochondria, we have pyruvate dehydrogenase complex. These are three enzymes that work together and start out with pyruvate and make acetyl-CoA. That could then go into the citric acid cycle or TCA cycle, tricarboxylic acid cycle or Krebs cycle. If you go into clinicals and you have some uh, professors there, uh, physicians there, they mostly refer it as Krebs cycle. And it is so funny when I talk to them, they said, oh, biochem, yeah, the Krebs cycle. And actually for a biochemist or medically oriented, it's not that interesting as there are not many... Uh, diseases is it's not compatible with life so actually what we will we will have only half a half a lecture on the Krebs cycle yeah but it was in the past uh, intensely taught so then we have the electron transport chain that leads to oxidative phosphorylation how we make ATP and the fatty acid Beta-oxidation is a pathway that degrades fatty acids, actually fatty acyl-CoA's, activated fatty acids here in mitochondria. And then we have last but not least, ketone body synthesis. And here is liver only, and only under fasting or under conditions that you have under various other special conditions. So some pathways you find everywhere, some you don't here in the cell you can locate them now if i look ahead if you see a pathway take the split of a second to ask yourself the answer takes longer but why do we have it huh? what's the purpose of it and then if you have figured it out and I said so okay where in the body does it can everybody do it? Like gluconeogenesis. Why do we have gluconeogenesis? Well, in fasting, when we don't eat, we have to provide blood glucose and it's gluconeogenesis that can do that and can make glucose from scratch and put the glucose into the blood. And then you ask yourself, can everybody, uh, every cell do it? No. Liver and kidney under tight hormonal control. And then you can ask yourself, and that is coming back to this, where in the cell is it? It's mostly in in the cytosol, as it uses enzymes that catalyze reversible reactions from glycolysis. So once you have that, then you bring already part of the biochemistry into the human body. That is what I want you to do. Bring it into the human body. It's much more fun. It's much more interesting, and it's much more medical-applicated. So how do enzymes now work? Well, here you have a graph, and you see here the changes in free energy and the progress of reaction. And in blue, there is a an uncatalyzed reaction, and A has a higher energy level than B. Now, if you think about sledge riding, you are on, an, on a hill, and down there you want to co- go, you just go down, right? This cannot happen. Every reaction has to go over a transition state that needs energy input. So instead of sliding down from here from A to B, you have to go over a hill, and then you go down. All reactions have to go through this transition state. Now what do enzymes do? They reduce the energy that is needed to reach this transition state. So we call this the free energy of activation and that is reduced in enzymatic catalysis. So what do the enzymes not do? They don't change the energy level of A or B. It's not done by enzymes. So the enzymes do not change the delta G, this is the delta G of the reaction. You will have later some more uh, lectures where we go into uh, kinetics and energy metabolism, but this is the big outline related to enzymes. Now here you have a little kid, obviously with a warm sweater and and Grenada Doesn't look very happy, does it? So you want to take that sweater off. And you are the enzyme, you are the parents. Now, you have all dealt with little kids. If they are stubborn and have their arms like this, there's no way other than with scissors that you can get that sweater off, right? So what you do is you lift up the arms So here we have an enzyme. Then you make an enzyme substrate complex. It's a little bit drop in energy. And you have here ES complex. And now you go over the transition state. You pull the sweater off. And here's the product, the happy kid. So in this story, and I also wanted to tell you, we can all make lectures very complicated that shows how smart we are. And we can make lectures in communication as storytelling. And that's the same thing what you will have later as a physician. You can make it very, have all these names patients don't understand, or you can make an example. And there's nothing wrong with that, as long as you know your material. So here, substrate, enzyme substrate complex, transition state product formation. Here it is shown again, and I show it to you as I want you to see that when the enzyme substrate complex is formed, you have substrate, uh, uh, some bonds. In most cases, these are non-covalent bonds. Then you have some additional bonds in the transition state, and here you have the products formed, and the original enzyme is back. So what are the kinetics of enzymes? they are the studies of product formation and product formation you can say that is the rate per time, then you really go into grams we cannot do that, we go into um, molarities and concentrations and so in biochemistry we call the rate velocity, that's where the velocity comes from and you Test it under specific conditions. You can give different substrate concentrations, see what the enzyme does. You keep the enzyme concentrate uh, concentration constant and increase that. We will see that. Or you have the same enzyme concentration, same substrate concentration, but differ the pH. So you would then have many vials and then you have different pHs, and then you measure the product formation, and then you plot it in a graph. Or you can make different temperatures, and you can also include drugs, and that's where the pharmaceutical companies are uh, doing their studies. So enzyme kinetics tells you something, what does the enzyme prefer as a substrate? You know, if I make an enzyme kinetic uh, with one substrate and I show a little bit to the enzyme and it grabs it, obviously it likes it. If I show similar structure but not, then enzyme is not so interested, will use it but has a different affinity. So with the drugs you want to make a drug that is more like by the enzyme than the uh, original substrate if it is a competitive drug, and we will come to that. So it's important for our knowledge. And now I want to show the effect of substrate concentration. You see here is the reaction velocity that is product formation over time. And here you have the substrate concentration. And let's look first at the blue part. This is an enzyme, and it will follow Michaelis-Menten kinetics. And if you increase more substrate, then it makes more product, more product. And do you remember what we said? Enzyme, enzyme enzyme-substrate complex products. So you do that, But you had in all these vials, the same enzyme concentration. And now you bombard this enzyme with a lot of substrate. And at one time here, all enzyme is in the enzyme substrate complex. And if you put five more pounds in, it couldn't handle it. So as you form an enzyme substrate complex, and in these experiments here, you keep the enzyme concentration constant there is a time when you cannot increase product formation, and you call this Vmax. Now, this is also true that you reach a Vmax for allosteric enzymes, and we will talk about it. They have several subunits. we don't do that in the next lecture. But you see it doesn't follow the Michaelis-Menten kin- uh, uh, kinetics as they have cooperative substrate binding that looks like hemoglobin binding but hemoglobin uh, oxygen binding but it is not an enzyme so this is an enzyme here so if you give more substrate suddenly you make more product now temperatures definitely if you increase the temperature you increase uh, the metabolism and it goes so high until you come close to 40 Celsius high fever and then the enzyme activity in humans goes down this is not the case in bacteria here in um, hot uh, s- uh, springs and they can have maximum activity at 70 Celsius or so and that is used in research to uh, purify enzymes so that you then can, in your enzyme assay, act at higher temperatures. Do you think you have also a medical application to reduce the temperature? Would that be of advantage? When, When would you think it would be of advantage to reduce metabolism? In surgery, if you have heart surgery, you want to cool the tissue down and that's done. So then the metabolism slows down. So you can increase it and you can decrease it, but again, the increase shall not be higher than 40 Celsius. Now, what about the pH? pH is important and some extreme pH denature proteins. For example, in the stomach, we have a pH of two, You eat a protein, what happens? It's denatured, With exception of an enzyme that just loves it at pH 2. And which enzyme is active in the stomach lumen and cleaves protein? Pepsin. So Pepsin loves it and is stable and actually needs the uh, the low pH, the high proton concentration for activity and activation. Now, if you have an individual that eats for breakfast antacids, what do you think happens to that individual? Antacids makes an alkaline pH, so very strongly interfering with protein digestion. So to a certain degree, it's good. If it gets a habit and is too much, then it's definitely not good for the digestion. So it's meant to have a high proton concentration in the stomach. What about trypsin here? If you just think about you eat something, it goes into the stomach, there you have the high proton concentration, then it goes into the duodenum. And here come enzymes from the pancreas, and they want a neutralized uh, pH. So you will have to neutralize, and you do that with bicarbonate from the Uh, pancreas. So you neutralize so that then your trypsin here is happy and does its job. And then we have a phosphatase that loves alkaline pH and actually makes it and that has its name for that. Alkaline phosphatase, we will talk about it when we talk about clinical enzymology and injury marker. All right. And here, I put the photo in, as we have Michaelis-Menten kinetics, and we always say, yeah, oh yeah. Can you imagine, it's over 100 years, more than 110 years ago, that these individuals made these Michaelis-Menten kinetics, and we still use them. Now we have all kinds of kinetics that are used, but what we teach here is what you can expect as questions in the USMLE. We don't give you the newest methods. That would not make any sense. So here, Michaelis-Menten kinetics is still valid and is still used. And they described what we have seen. Enzyme and substrate make an enzyme-substrate complex. This can be still going back. And then it goes with K2 to enzyme and product. So, they said enzyme and substrate are in fast equilibrium with the enzyme substrate complex, and that can then form enzyme and product again. You see here these constants, and I don't want to go too much into that, as we want to keep the medical application of this all. But when Dr. Michaelis here, this is Dr. Menton, this is Dr. Michaelis say good morning. So here you have, <laughs> sorry, sometimes it is kind of hard only talking k1 and, k1 and k-1 and k2. So he played around and he said, okay, maybe I can make a constant. These are all constants. Can, can I make a constant out of it? Yeah." And he did it and he said, K minus one plus K two divided by K one. I call this the Michaelis constant. K as in constant, M as his first uh, last name, Michaelis. And he put that into, uh, did all kinds of calculations and he came up with the Michaelis-Menten equation. He said the velocity of a reaction is Vmax, the maximum velocity, times substrate concentration divided by this new Km, this new constant that I did, plus substrate concentration. Now, you should know that equation, but what we want to do is we want to apply the knowledge uh, in a graph. As when you, again, do a lot, several pages of calculations, And you said V0, the velocity, is half Vmax, then half uh, velocity equals km. That's the substrate concentration. So there's a lot of calculations involved, which I definitely don't want to go through. I want to have a look at this. This is how you had... Uh, Velocity, you have here all these little dots are vials, assay vials, right? And I said, if you increase the substrate concentration in these um, experiments, you keep the enzyme concentration constant. And then you see, as we have talked about, at very high substrate concentration, everything is an enzyme substrate complex of the enzyme. There is no free enzyme left over in these reactions, and the product formation reaches its maximum. Now, if you want to know something about an enzyme, you would like to know when would that happen, right? When when can you really put all the enzyme into the enzyme-substrate complex? But you could not really, you want to know how much does the enzyme like the substrate? Is that formed at low concentrations or higher? And here, if you just look at it, you see that would be a big problem to say when Vmax is reached. The concentrations here are very, very strong. So somebody got the idea to say, okay, here's asymptotic, here's Vmax. I go down to Vmax half, and I go over here, and here is my Km. So you can... Calculate that at Vmax half is Km, but you also can understand why this is a good idea to know that Km is where half of the maximum uh, velocity is reached, yeah? and you have one point and the good thing is this can be compared in all the laboratories over the world as you have to keep this enzyme concentration constant for this graph and then you can find your KM. If another laboratory in another country does these experiments they might take higher enzyme concentrations and then the graph would go higher here but Km is the same, as Km is where Vmax half is. When you have more enzyme, you make more product, right? If you have less enzyme, you make less product. But if you look at the substrate concentration that is needed to make Vmax half, that's always the same. And that is a constant. So if you, however, looked at this graph you needed all these measure points, and that can be very, very expensive. I work with neuropeptides, and experiments were already in the thousands. If you want to go really, really high, that would not work out. And somebody got the idea, well, if we have the same measure points, what about if we make a different plot? And here again, there are other Plots that are more used, but the Lineweaver berg plot you should know. You should know the Michaelis Menten plot and the Lineweaver berg plot. And Lineweaver Burke came to the idea let's do a double reciprocal. And instead of Vmax and Km with the substrate concentration. Let's do a double uh, reciprocal, and we can calculate 1 divided by Vmax and minus 1 divided by Km. And these are the intercepts with the y-axis or the x-axis, and you see here it has a minus 1 divided by Km. So how does it look like? Here is one. And I made it very clear, sometimes it is not shown clear, but in red are the actually measure points. You cannot measure minus, right? So here are the measure points, and you see you need much less to make a straight line. And here, and where the um, one divided by V max, you have to calculate it. Yeah, and here minus one divided by km, you have to calculate it. So you have the measure points, and then you use mathematics. Are you with me so far? Good. As that is important, what I want you to know is that you first understand the thing in Michaelis-Menten and then apply it to double reciprocal. So far, I haven't met a person who thinks double reciprocal. So you think in the Michaelis-Menten part and then you apply it. As these Lineweaver-Berg plot show definitely also up in the USMLE. So if we make a conclusion what the Michaelis constant does, it's the substrate concentration where half maximum velocity is reached, Vmax half. It's one particular substrate concentration. And this Km is characteristic for the enzyme. So if I have an enzyme and I have a specific substrate, then I can get a Km. If I have a different substrate, I get a different Km. So what do you think, if the enzyme likes the substrate, would you have a small or a large Km? Small Km, you only have to show the substrate a little bit and the enzyme, you have slow amount of substrate, already reaches Vmax half. And the other part is uh, then uh, lower affinity. You will see that all over. I just was thinking about a small group alcohol. You will have that next semester. There are enzymes that grab the alcohol once it hits the liver, and some wait a little bit, and they are kind of a backup when the alcohol is not metabolized fast enough by the first enzyme. So that is always important to know what is the affinity. Yeah. Well, I the line weaver plot, let's say it if I still have time, I go again to that. In the moment there is no medical application for that. Yeah. Again, I want to tell you that kinetics, you can talk month about it. I cannot from here. I would have to prepare myself for that as I'm more interested in the medical application. But there's a lot of that. And again, Eddie Hotstaff plot, all those plots, they are not used in the USMLE. The lineweaver Berg plot is. yeah, And we will see how we use the lineweaver Berg plot. The slope is interesting, but what we use it are the, how can I to uh, calculate Vmax, and how can I calculate Km from that? So, velocity increases, higher enzyme concentration, Km is the same, and that is for enzymes that follow Michaelis-Menten constants. And here you have an enzyme, two enzymes actually, one substrate, and you have enzyme one and enzyme two. So which one likes the substrate better? It's easy, right? The blue one here, enzyme number one. You can bring a little bit of substrate, and it has already Vmax half. That means the small Km reflects a high affinity, and the other enzyme really kicks in at higher levels. It's not interested in the small amounts. And exactly thus you will see in many pathways that we have that on purpose enzymes that have a high affinity when we need it and enzymes that have a low affinity but can handle a lot when we need it. So enzyme activity can be reduced by drugs or poisons. Now poisons, it's a bad thing. Drugs, we make this on purpose and uh, the companies make reversible inhibition, for example, with drugs, and we have only here discussed competitive inhibitors and non-competitive inhibitors. These are the two that are most important in medical education. And then the drugs or poisons, they lead to irreversible inhibition. Sometimes you want to irreversible inhibit an enzyme, and poisons do that. And another interesting thing is that drug, a drug can be made by pharmaceutical companies that is first meant to go to the target enzyme and it doesn't inhibit anything. And then you have the target enzyme that sees this drug, it looks like the substrate and it mistakes it and we will see that non in competitive inhibitor, that happens there too. The drug looks like the substrate, but in that case, the enzyme realizes that and said, oops, you are the wrong one, get out of here. I want the substrate and I wanna make a product. And these special drugs, and we call the suicide inhibitor drugs, they are taken up by the enzyme and the enzyme says, oh, fine, I modulate. And now, suddenly, as a molecule formed, the drug is modified by the enzyme itself, and now it's irreversible inhibition, and the enzyme cannot kick it out. So that is what we call suicide inhibitor drugs, as the enzyme itself does it—that it forms an enzyme uh, a drug that irreversible inhibits. We will see examples with that. So, now let's go to the reversible inhibitions and see the competitive reversible inhibition. Here, and I want you to know already the enzyme and the substrate HMG CoA reductase. That is the regulated enzyme for cholesterol synthesis. We have mostly cholesterol synthesis in the liver. And actually, these statins, these drugs, are targeted for the liver, they are not meant to go into the brain. Some do, and then that's a problem. But here you have the statins. They are supposed to inhibit hepatic HMG-CoA reductase, and with that, cholesterol synthesis. Do we need cholesterol? Would we synthesize it? We talked about membranes. Think about it. Where do you find cholesterol in the membrane? In the plasma membrane, in both layers and think about how many plasma membranes you have. So we forget that. People say, oh yeah, we need cholesterol for steroid hormone synthesis and bile acid, but all the cells need tons of cholesterol, actually, for their plasma membranes. So when we don't eat cholesterol, then the liver can censor that, and the liver says, okay, I synthesize it. And that's quite a pathway, over 50 reactions. So you can, however, if that is too much, by statins, inhibit that synthesis. So how does this drug look like? It is a structural analog of the substrate. Here is HMG-CoA. That's the substrate. And this looks similar. It binds in the active site. And the drug competes with the substrate. So here I'm the enzyme, here comes my substrate, I'm happy, HMG-CoA, do my job, finished. Here comes the drug, sits in here, I cannot bind HMG-CoA. These two molecules now compete. So it's a competition who is there first. Both don't fit in. Now if you think about competition and you have 50 molecules of statins and 50 molecules of HMG-CoA, they're pretty equal chances. But if you now in your experiments keep the inhibitor concentration constant and increase dramatically the substrate concentration, so you have your 50 molecules of statins against 500,000 substrate molecules or so. or not that much, then the idea is the inhibition is overcome. The probability is just too slow or too low that the drug makes it first. So here when we make competitive reversible inhibition at really, really high substrate concentration, we can overcome the inhibition. And that is what you see here in this graph, you have here Vmax, Vmax half, no inhibitor is the blue line. And now you see that at really, really high concentration, which is actually, you cannot see it, but you would see it somewhere over there in the outside, that Vmax is reached. But what do you see now? If you go to Vmax half, you have UKM and if you go to the vmax half of the uh, drug uh, where the competitive inhibitor is there you see you need more substrate to reach vmax half and that is why we call it an apparent larger km km is a substrate uh, is a constant is a constant michaelis constant so It represents two things. It represents the substrate concentration where you reach Vmax half, and it represents the affinity that the enzyme has for that substrate. Now, you did not change the affinity. You only kept the enzyme busy with molecules that floated into the active site. So you need more substrate to overcome this competitiveness of the statin drug or any competitive drug. So that's why we call it apparent KM. Are you with me so far? You need more as the enzyme, you need more. We said at very high substrate concentration the inhibitor is outlasted. And if you want to reach Vmax half, you need more than normal substrate concentration. As you have to deal with the inhibitor. All right. And if we look at the different concentration, you can see that you, in, at higher concentration, you have a stronger inhibition. So here, you go always to Vmax half, and you see that you get larger apparent KMs from the substrate. Now I want you to do uh, click a clicker question. You can talk to each other here now. I mean, it it always helps to. This is not an easy question. All right. Wow, very good. Actually, the answer is so simple. If you don't read all the other choices, you said, yeah, of course, it's a competitive inhibitor. Uh, But here, the drug is not an analog of cholesterol, but an analog of the substrate, HMG-CoA. Very good. So let's continue with the lecture. So that was competitive inhibitor drug. Built by pharmaceutical companies on purpose, and then we also have non competitive reversible inhibition. And you see here, you can form an enzyme substrate complex, but the very moment this red inhibitor is available, it can bind to the enzyme substrate complex and can make an ESI complex or EIS complex, you find both. And if the inhibitor binds to uh, the enzyme, you can also not make a product. So what is it not, does not compete with the substrate binding. It makes it impossible to make the product. So that is uh, then re- reflected in the graphs that we see. You see here you have non-competitive inhibition leads to an apparent smaller Vmax. So here let's look at no inhibitor, the blue line, and you go to Vmax half and you have a KM. And now you look at the line with a non-competitive inhibitor. I said product formation is uh, mostly affected, so you will not make as much product as you cannot overcome that. And very often uh, it is referred to as Vmax is not reached, we should say the Vmax of the uninhibited reaction is not reached, yeah? We reach a Vmax, the green one here. And with this Vmax, we go to Vmax half, and we go back to our graph, and we see that Km is the same. So that is an important information. We do not reach the maximum velocity of the uninhibited reaction as we are interfering with product formation and velocity is product formation over time. But if I go to that, as it's an enzyme after all, we have a Vmax. If I go to that Vmax half, to that green one here, I find the same Km. And that would make a lot of sense as you did not change the affinity of the enzyme uh, for the substrate, you only could not make the product. If you have higher concentration, you see here that uh, if you have 10 times concentration of the inhibitor, you even reduce the product formation more. So these are different concentrations. Sometimes you have to figure out which is the highest concentration of which inhibitor. Yeah? Are you with me so far? If you have this now and compare it to Lein-Viver-Berg, and that's why I didn't want to go too much into the other kinetics, we use Line viver to calculate Vmax and calculate Km. So here, please understand first what's with the competitive inhibition, this is here uh, Michael that is easy to understand eventually you will reach your Vmax it's a competition who is first in the active site and if you have 1000 molecules to two the 1000 molecules will win if you then go to this Vmax half and look at the KM you see that it is an apparent larger KM as here we are Focusing on the substrate concentration that is needed to reach Vmax And after you understand this, you go into the line Viva-Berg plot And they are very common, as I said So you see here, you have inhibitor, no inhibitor They meet each other at 1 divided by Vmax Which Vmax is unchanged, it's the same And now you have a difference in minus one divided by Km in these two graphs. If you have no inhibitor, and one divided by Km, and minus one divided by Km, you have first to see which one is larger. You have to go to this graph. Which one has a larger apparent Km? Yeah, that is the competitive inhibitor. And if you have one divided by that, then you have numerically number, a smaller number here. In this case, these lines are labeled control and inhibitor. In exams, it's not necessarily that case. So if you see this and see these two lines cross at one divided by Vmax, that tells you, okay, it's a competitive inhibitor. And now if you have to decide what is the control, the blue line or the red line, you see it has to be the inhibitor is the red line and this is no inhibitor, the blue line. As the inhibitor leads to an apparent larger KM. I just want to go through this. Actually, I make a break now, and then we go after that. We continue, okay? Thank you very much.